0: What's going on, guys? Welcome back to another episode of The Real Impact. I'm your host, Austin Rice. We've got a good one lined up for you guys today, so let's get let's dive in. One, two, three, four. All right, so we got Chris and Cody here with uh, it's Little Rock Property Buyers, right? Yes, sir. All right, so um, just want to kind of start it off with, uh, you know, just both you guys, just give you a quick introduction about you guys and who you guys are, and then we'll, we'll kind of dive into everything else.
1: Awesome. Uh, so we're uh, two guys, we're both, we're business partners, um, the only partners in the business. Um, we're out of Central Arkansas. Um, me personally, uh, I grew up playing baseball my whole life. Um, went to school to play baseball, got a degree in math. Um, and in a minor in economics. Um, as soon as I came out of college, went to the corporate world. Uh, you know, it was, it was fun, enjoyable, but I knew real estate was my passion after reading Rich Dad, Poor Dad. And so Cody and I kind of were doing it on the side up until January of 2020, where we went full time with it. Nice. Okay. Cody, what about you? What's your background?
2: Yeah, I went into the corporate world uh, right after college. I didn't know what I wanted to get into. Uh, luckily, Chris, me and him crossed paths. And Chris invited me to this uh, Rich Dad Poor that event, and that's where we kind of took real estate from there. But I was in banking, and I did that for two years before jumping out and doing real estate full time. Nice.
0: Okay. So, yeah, so both you guys, you know, corporate worlds, and then, you know, now jumping into real estate. So um, you kind of touched on it briefly, but like what, what do you think it was that kind of drove you guys you know, into real estate, you know, because there's a lot of different things, right? So what do you think it was that drove you guys just straight into real estate?
1: I think for me, when I read Rich Dad, Poor Dad, it opened up my mind to a world of uh, knowing that I could earn more money and build wealth outside of a nine to five. Um, I, uh, I didn't, uh, while I did enjoy the corporate world where I was at, uh, I knew that my passion was in real estate. So Um, I felt like I was, um, really selling myself short and not going for my dreams by kind of sticking in the corporate world. Mm. Um, and so, but it was reading rich dad, poor dad that really kick, kick kickstarted the entire, you know, process for me. Okay. And I mean, you were, so, so Cody was in banking. So Chris, what was, what was your corporate role before real estate? Um, I worked for a, a software company, um, called ABC Financial. They do um, membership database and billing for fitness gyms. Mm-hmm. So 10 Fitness, well, Anytime Fitness, Planet Fitness, Gold's Gym, all those guys get billed through ABC. Yeah, very familiar with ABC Financial. My background is actually in fitness sales. So
0: okay. very okay. familiar with ABC Financial. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Small nice.
2: so, Degree in math and goes into software sales. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Chris does all of our uh, number crunching for us, ARVs and plus uh-huh. and subtracting just the easy math for us. <laughs> there you go.
0: Awesome, man. And
2: then Cody, what do you? What was it that
0: got you into into real estate? Was it like Chris or what kind of? Let's
2: dive. Yeah, in good that? question. For me, it's more of the vehicle. Uh, I saw my parents growing up working the nine to five, and we're um, just a median household. Um, didn't do too much, little vacation, and had no free time. And mm-hmm. so after doing banking for two years, I, I saw that I was becoming following their footsteps. I'm like, man, this not to five thing. It's not going to cut it. And so I had to figure something else out uh, that something else out was just the, the new vehicle for me just happened to be real estate. And mm-hmm. uh, we caught wave of that. I found that there's ways to leverage yourself, you know, so uh, owning a hundred thousand worth of stock is different than owning a hundred thousand real estate and how to get involved and get started in that is uh, leverage. And so just making money while you sleep and earning passive income to truly build wealth over time. That's something that attracted me to get involved.
0: Nice, man. Awesome. So let's kind of dive into you guys got started full time in January 2020, right? Were you guys doing it part time before or was it just kind of like, you know, two
2: feet first and just full time or bust? So let's back up. Uh, This is part of our story. 2017. That's when me and Chris uh, got started, you know, in 16, me and Chris crossed paths again, and he invited me to the event. And so come 2017, me and Chris bought our first property in January. We're 21 years old at the time, 22, something like that. Um, So in 17, five months later, we have accumulated five more properties. So we're able to acquire five properties in five months. And that's kind of the tagline that we use. That's our story. Mm -hmm. Um, And then, so we thought, well, man, if we can, buy a course and then execute on that course and then fulfill on it, what else could we do? Right. So we got distracted by the shiny objects and instead of doing what worked, um, because what happened was we went after our sixth property in 17 and we got turned down by the bank. And so lo and behold, you know, fast forward, we didn't have the tools and the capabilities and the knowledge that we have now of private money. Right. So we thought that the bank was the all be all way to go uh, acquire an asset. And so after we got turned down, we're like, well, if we just did that, let's go do something else. So instead of trying to figure out how to get through the brick wall, we turned around, went back, we, we we retreated, went back to uh, what worked, and what worked was to buy a course. And so then we explored digital marketing, uh, multi-level marketing, any whatever marketing you think of, course whatever. We <laughs> wanted to. Uh, <laughs> anything um,
1: but the real estate <laughs> yeah yeah anything not to make funny.
2: money except for real estate yeah <laughs> yeah so anything that worked and that's 17 so we took a hiatus 17 18 19 and it wasn't until the end of 19 that we started shuffling our feet again in real estate um, so all throughout those few years we had you know five properties that we were just maintaining holding mm-hmm. and not making much of anything but just equity buildup so um
1: Yeah, so Mm -hmm. we had we had started in um, August of uh, nineteen, calling on leads for a local real estate guy, Um, and so we would just do that on the side while we're working our nine to fives, and we started making some okay money. Right. Um, But at the end of um, nineteen, he had asked to um, to partner with us. Basically, he would fund everything, and we would just be the operations. And so, um, you know, we had saw we're making some hits, and we're like, okay, well if we could do this on our lunch break, like imagine if we did this full time, like this would be pretty cool. And so, um, so that's when we jumped in in 2020 full time. Uh, I would say we had a, I don't know, a little bit of a runway, but, uh, we quickly found ourselves in hot water when the safety net left of getting a consistent paycheck and, uh, Mm -hmm. the fear set in. And so for the first, um, six months or so, I think we did four deals. Right. And, and we were like, oh, I, I don't know. Well, we had a few distinctions, but the main one was we were trying to get a deal so bad that we forgot to help the customer, <laughs> to help right. the seller sell their house, right? And, um, and from there, we had a, a shift, and we ended the year doing 58 deals. Um, we had a shift. is is the end of June, early July where we made that shift. Um, mm-hmm. And so, uh, yeah, i love to talk more about that, but that's kind of like getting into it full time.
0: Yeah, no, I think that's awesome, man. So I think too many people kind of like to like just kind of like skip and breeze over that part, right? Cause when uh, you know, I was there too. So like I know how it feels. Like when you go from, you know, leaving the comfort and like the stability of the nine to five and that 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 corporate job, right? Uh, you know, first like day two, maybe the first week or so, like, you know, you feel like you're untouchable. And then it's like that second or third week, it really starts to set in where you're like, oh shit, I'm not getting a paycheck. You know, like (laughs) you got to, you got to go hunt every day. And yeah, I think too many people like to breeze over that, you know, like there's, yeah, it's, it's scary, you know, whenever you make that jump, um, you know, it's, it takes, it takes a different mindset and it takes a different attitude because you know, like you said, like it really sets in that you're not, you don't have a paycheck
2: coming. Well, speaking of mindset, you you hit on it. We had a coach doing mental performance training and Uh, that allowed us to get through the times instead of retreating back to family familiar, we were able to push through that brick wall. I don't know if you caught it. Chris said we only did four deals in the first six months. Mm -hmm. The second half of the year, we did 54 deals. Yeah. How do you make that jump? It's not just by happenstance. And so the coach really helped us power through with our mental barriers and unconscious fears that we had and carried with us to break through to skyrocket. Yeah. So let's dive into that.
0: Like, so obviously, you know, four deals in six months, it's not, that's not terrible, but it's also not, you know, anything to write home about. Right. So what, um, you know, what was that shift, you know, like, cause obviously you guys know what it was and you've continued to kind of improve on that. So, like, what was that shift that took you from, you know, a deal every month and a half to
2: shoot multiple deals each month? Well, uh, Chris, I'll I'll talk about the numbers. And then you talk about the Karen part that on the numbers side, we realized that we got a cold caller and Mm. we said, Oh, we're getting some leads from this. Let's get two. Oh, we're getting more leads. Let's get three. So we kept (laughs) increasing the number of cold callers and getting leads, but it wasn't until we started closing these four deals. that we looked back and see these four people came in our pipeline six months ago. Mm. So it takes time to nurture and follow up. And that was our distinction that we made was uh, after looking back and reflecting we we're able to see that it takes follow-up time to close these deals and so we just were building up a pipeline of leads to continue to nurture gotcha okay oh uh, you're on mute chris yeah no try unplugging and plug it back in Well, uh, while he's doing that, uh, the <laughs> the biggest thing was just reflecting and looking back uh-huh. um, and noticing the time it took to close these leads. And uh, it certainly helped that we had the coach to be there with us. Uh, her name's Karen, Coach Karen. And if you saw our presentation in CG that we did last uh, last quarter in May, um, that's what we talked about was the mental mm-hmm. barriers that we have from just childhood fears that allow us – we kind of keep ourselves in our own way. Right. And So with that, it comes, uh, you know, being stuck, mm-hmm. um, going back to what, you know, and that's going back to the corporate world. Right. Um, but we have that mental fortitude to uh, press forward and to also see how do we be and do opposite? How do we take our beingness to the next level? Um, so that we can perform.
1: There we go, Chris. I hey, you can knowledge. you guys hear me? Yeah, yeah, there we go. Sorry about that. Um, <laughs> I don't know exactly what you guys spoke about, but uh, what I was going to speak to is, um, you know, when we're so comfortable making money uh, consistently, like someone giving us a paycheck, um, we weren't used to having to do the income producing activities to make money directly, right? Mm-hmm. And so what we found ourselves doing was everything but the income producing activities. <laughs> we are yeah. cleaning the house at 10 a.m., you know, doing random stuff instead of being on the phone with people. Yeah. And so we had this saying, um, uh, packing instead of mic. packing mics, you know, go make phone calls. And that's your one rock every day is if you don't, if you literally don't do anything, you have to make your phone calls today. Mm-hmm. Um, and so we kind of adopted that mindset, but we also understood too that, um, when you have an abundance mindset of helping other people, it reduces your scarcity um, feelings about maybe the lack of production that you're having in terms of income. And um, when we started to be of service to them, we also did the whole, well, let's try one cold call or two call or three. Uh, we basically said, let's do it till it breaks. Right. And, and so, you know, we just scaled in that way and that helped us get more leads, but we had been, you know, trying these new talk tracks and working to be of service to people, um, that really helped us, um, uh, kind of, I don't know, graduate, so to speak, from not doing yeah. many deals to,
0: to grow them. So how do you, how do you think you're, you know, and obviously, you know, having the coach off, uh, obviously helps, right. But like, how do you think you guys went from, you know, I, we got to get deals to having that service, you know, that abundant mindset to having that service-based, you know, approach, because, Obviously, you know, I think anyone who's in wholesaling or who's in, you know, investing or anything like that can agree. Like the more you try to help the seller, typically the better the outcome is. Um, But at the same token, um, it's also kind of hard to do that. Right. Especially when you just leave that that corporate job and, you know, you're you're in charge of producing your own paycheck. Um, what do you think it was that clicked for you guys to really, you know, make that shift
2: happen? Cause I think a lot of people struggle with that. Yeah. You know. Well, trial by error. I mean, right. we see that what's working is not working or what we're doing is not working. Mm-hmm. And the, it was a coach and our being this is what served the, the client. Uh, who are we being to them? Mm hmm.
1: Yeah, I have a, a few things. Um, so like in an, in an example where first and foremost is you got to be putting in the reps. That's that's kind of my thing. Um, yeah. uh, so reps is one. So that's a way. Um, the second thing is, is if there, if you get no's, you know, it's it's still try to help the seller. Um, and it's that I don't know, I would say there's a distinct difference between when Mr. Seller says, your price doesn't work. I'm not interested in selling my house. You're like, okay, no problem. You know, Hey, listen, if you ever need anything, please let us know. I could refer you out to a realtor, maybe even a contractor. You said you could do the work yep. um, instead of, you know, okay, whatever. And then you hang up. Yeah. Those two have completely different outcomes, not necessarily on Mr. Seller, but on your energy mm-hmm. and on how you see your um, production or your, your ability to, you know, create um, deals. And so I think that consistently being in that of service mindset to Mr. Seller really, um, and, and I will say too, it was like, okay, maybe I had 10 of those conversations that I was of service, but then there was like 23 that weren't, you know, but over time they became lopsided where it was like, most of them were of service. Very few were not. And then, Mm -hmm. you know, we were able to see from there too our, our energy change. Um, we had more leads in the pipeline that were a hundred days old. So they're, that's on average what our days, you know, when a lead comes into contract. So we started seeing people fall and, and our services started to work for people and price right. points were good too.
2: So um, well, what happened too with the same scenario Chris is talking about, we left that door open with a seller. Mm-hmm. So that allowed us to follow up and come back. And I right. see a lot of new people lack in the follow up. Oh yeah. And that's what's really excelled us is that that's eighty percent of our business is the follow up. Yeah, fortunes in the follow up for sure yeah and i
0: think i think that's huge too because like it's funny because in our like in our business like one of the things that i preach all the time is like we're not we're not a real estate business or anything like we're a professional problem solving business you know like and the the problem that we solve doesn't always have to be they sell it to us you know like we can connect them with a probate attorney we can connect them with uh movers you know we can connect them with a, a property management company right like There's so many different other ways that we can solve problems. And I think to Chris, to your point, like when you just help someone solve a problem, regardless if you're making money off of it or not, like you feel better, you know, whether, whenever, if you just leave the conversation and you're just like, ah, damn it, they didn't want to sell to me. Then you just, you feel like, well, that's a no, you know? But if you're like, well, they didn't sell it, but they, you know, you end the conversation good. They're thanking you at the end of the conversation. You know, they're appreciative of everything. Like now you feel good, right? Like get that warm, fuzzy feeling, you know, and now you're looking
2: forward to making the next call. And that's the beingness. That's the beingness that carried us through Mm -hmm. is what you just said. It makes you feel good. That's the, yeah.
0: Yeah. And I think a lot of that too, like that also helps with like what you talked about, about putting in the reps, you know, like, cause it's, it's tough to put in the reps if it's just a negative energy the whole time.
1: Right. Like yeah, I don't care you what says,
0: Like, you can have the strongest mindset in the freaking world. But if you just have the the negative thoughts all the time and you're in the conversations negatively all the time, like it's gonna be tough. Like it's gonna be real tough. So I think that also has a big piece to play in in like what you said, like putting in the reps. And I think that goes to anything just even outside of real estate, right? Like any sales position or any, you know, customer service, customer facing position at all. Like If you in the conversation just by helping the client, whether that's making a sale or not, you're going to feel better going to the next conversation. And
1: then it just compounds and compounds and compounds and compounds and compounds. Yeah, I've got a really good example of um, like this situation. There was a lady. um, I called her maybe 13 times, never got her on the phone. But every time I left her a voicemail, hey, this is Chris. A local investor just looking to purchase another property. You know, you you had mentioned that you were interested in selling before. You know, I didn't know if now was the right time or whatever. Just want to check in. Hope you're doing well. <clears throat> I do that like 13 times, literally. Mm-hmm. And uh, her tenant one day trashed the house. She calls me crying. Hey, I'm ready to sell. And I think we got it under contract. And the next day, and then closed on it like two weeks later. Yep. Um, and it's like those situations where if I had been like negative. You know, Nancy. Listen, I've called you eleven times. I can't believe you hadn't answered <laughs> or given up. I, yeah, or given yeah. up, or just, or just never called. Not yeah. So you know, it could have gone so many other ways, but that's kind of a testament to the of service like mentality um, that uh, that we speak about. To really, regardless of the situation or circumstance, it's you being unfazed by it, mm-hmm. um, and, and that's you know, it's paid dividends for us. Yeah.
0: No, that's awesome. So.
1: Um, let's kind of take a step back
0: now, right? So, January 2020 you guys went full-time into it. So, what what was the business what the business look like um, you know, then, right? Obviously, I think we can skip past January 2020 actually. We can get to like the when you guys made that transition from, you know, doing the four deals to doing what the 50 52, 54? 54. Yeah. Yeah. So, like what did the team look like then? right like how many cold callers do you guys have who was closing the deals um who was were you guys you know wholesaling them closing on all of them flipping them you know what did it look like back then and then we'll jump into like what it looks like today
2: i think back then me and chris were both on the front end Um, yeah
1: so the the it was um we had a small team of cold callers um three or four let's let's take october 2020 for an example we had like three or four cold callers um we had Cody on the front. I was doing uh, some of the front, but I was doing all the TC and Dispo on the back end. Um, and we were, uh, I think one of the game changers for us, for me, at least on the back end to make sure to see these deals through to the end was doing a daily huddle mm-hmm. every single day. We'd go over every deal to see what our next steps has anything happened. Are we missing something? Okay. Um, but, uh, but that in October, 2020, that's pretty much, and we had one assistant uh, VA. Um, doing like paperwork and stuff. Hey,
0: I'll Wait. tell you right
1: now, we just we just hired I just hired an
0: assistant. Game changer. <laughs> yeah. I drugged my feet on it for so long. Game changer. Absolutely game changer.
1: Uh in-person assistant?
2: No, VA. Virtual. Cool. Mm-hmm. Nice. Love it. Yeah. Well, I, I thought phew. Chris was gonna hit on this. I, I want to make a distinction here. Me and Chris were both on the front. Yeah. And what we we're both pitching and catching our own you know, we're we're both pitcher and catcher to ourselves. We're getting the deal and then fulfilling on the back end of the deal. Well, when the pitcher is now fulfilling on the back end of the deal, they can't go pitch more strikes and get more deals. Mm -hmm. So we split up, we said, all right, I'm gonna take front. You take the back and I'm just going to pass it to you. Mm -hmm. And that was a a really clear indicator of that. That's kind of opened up the floodgates. We now had room for me to just continue to focus on sales and not doing anything on the back.
0: Right. Yeah, you can focus on your skill set and getting really good and put 100% of your energy on one thing. Yeah, I think yeah. that's huge. Um, so then, were you guys wholesaling the deals? So out of those 54, like, did you, how many did you guys, and if you don't know the clear, like exact numbers, it's fine, but like, you guys wholesale most of them, keep most of them, flip most of them. What was the exit strategy on those?
2: Like,
1: like wholesale? 99% wholesale. I think we got maybe one, and that was a sub two deal which mm-hmm. kind of a funny story there. I structured the deal so that he paid us 5 grand over time and we <laughs> took over his loan. So, that nice. was a, yeah, it was pretty interesting. <laughs> <laughs> there you go. That's a motivated
0: seller for you. <laughs> yeah, just different ways to get paid. Yeah. Yeah, and he probably he probably loved the
1: fact that you guys were doing it too, didn't he? Well, what I did was reduce he has had to pay 750 a month. I reduced that to 200 a month. So, he had to pay 208.33 for 24 months to get the 5 grand. Um, and so he loved doing that rather than the 750 cause the house oh. did need a little bit of repair and, you know, we came in and did those repairs immediately. Um, but he was just grateful that we saved him 550 bucks a month. Right. Yeah. I mean, a lot to a lot of people that's, I mean, that's the difference of, you know, food on the table or not. Yeah. You and know? he was pulling extra shifts to, to just to, you know, make those payments and everything. So that's awesome.
0: Well, sweet. So then
1: now what's the, what's the team look like now? So now we've got, um, Cody and Kevin on the front end for acquisitions. Um, we've got a team of cold callers. Um, we've got, uh, our VA still, I've got an executive assistant in, in person. We've got a bookkeeper. Um, and then just our back end vendors that we work with. And we do a lot of flips, uh, I would say this year we're like um, probably 55% flip and hold versus 45 wholesale.
2: Okay. So it kind of changed up the exit strategy a little bit this year? Yeah. Yeah. We noticed that we we're making three times as much uh, taking it down and flipping them. Mm-hmm. Uh, but 2021 is when we really started buying them for ourselves too for the rental portfolio. We have about 35, 40 rentals right now that we currently own, but looking to sell some off and just continue to go after quality product. Mm -hmm. um right now we have a team of non-code callers and we do arbitrage some of them to other clients that we use in uh, pa tennessee north carolina that we have that we met just through cg and so um they use our services and that helps offset just the marketing costs we're not looking to get rich from it but it does offset our our code callers costs and so um yeah Do you guys have those in in house or do you guys hire an agency Well, we, we originally in 2020 had an agency, but I was Mm -hmm. able to, um, when we dissolved our partnership with the other guy, they came with us and they were no longer an agency. It was just kind of an in-house, uh, their team. Yeah.
1: The agency, um, uh, went with our other business partner. Mm -hmm. Um, and so we had, Cody had spent all this time training the cold callers. So they said, we want, we don't want to work here anymore. We want to work for you. So, uh, nice. we call them the Cody beasts. <laughs> so they're all in
2: house now. And, um, I prefer that 10 out of 10 times. And, uh, I have a practice of recruiting new people through the current people we have instead of having to go hire and put a job post out. I just give them a referral fee to bring in any new callers. And, and that's how we continue to grow the, the, the co-calling team here. That's Awesome. That's
0: awesome. So um, I know you guys had mentioned you guys, you know, before we're leveraging the banks and everything like that, before you guys discovered private money. Right. So let's kind of let's let's for people that may not know. Right. Let's kind of create the distinction between, you know, banks versus private money and then why that, you know, I would assume that, you know, being able to raise the private money is what's been allowed, allowing you guys this year to be you know, majority flipping and buying and holding. So, um, for you guys, want to kind of elaborate a little bit more on the difference
2: between banks versus private money? Well, private money is uh, we're able to access at a hundred percent, so we don't have to come to the table with any money, which is way different than when we bought the first five houses in 17. We mm-hmm. had to get creative to bring money because we're only going to the bank, so we're limiting ourselves with the acquisition side with bank loans. Um, and therefore not having the capital to sustain the model.
1: And um, can you speak to what it, What do you mean specifically? Is that 15%, 20% we're taking or having to bring to the table, Cody?
2: Yeah, we're just bringing 20% to the table. We first got introduced to the private money when we partnered up with our other guy mm-hmm. um, who we've since split with, and he was creative in, in raising the money. Yeah. And so um, just by playing the game, we came across other lenders, and these are just private individuals who lend money out to people Mm -hmm. and that's like
0: what cody was saying is with a bank loan they were having to bring a 20 percent down payment on every single property they were going to buy right so that's that's tough you know you go to buy a hundred thousand dollar property you got to bring 20 grand to the table
1: cash plus closing costs usually yeah, yeah and um we um so the, there's, yeah, one distinction there was we didn't have the money um, to, to get the 20% down. So we got creative and found, you know, uh, we partnered with a couple that they brought all the down payment to buy two houses. Um, so we went through the bank with their down payment money. We managed the whole thing, 50-50 partner. Then there was another one where we leveraged someone uh, with debt where they just gave us the money. We're paying them interest on that money. Mm -hmm. Um over a six year period. And so uh so we we found these creative ways to get into these deals because we didn't have money. Um and all we knew was to go directly to Mr. Bank. (laughs) Right. Yeah. I
0: mean that's that's all a lot of people know, right? Like I mean, because like growing up, especially if you're not, you know, fully engulfed in the real estate, you know, niche, right? Like you buy a property by getting a mortgage, right? Like, yeah. I mean, I, I remember just this weekend. Right. I was talking to a buddy of mine and explaining to him, like, you know, owner finance and sub two. And he was just like, that's a thing, you know, (laughs) like and it's not like he's he's a pretty smart dude. You know, it's just a fact that it's just not common knowledge. Mm -hmm. And I think it's tough because especially like us, like being in you know, real estate daily, um, we forget that like a lot of stuff that we talk about every single day is not common knowledge. I know for me, yeah. it's especially like I have to like remind myself of that, like, okay, it's not common to talk about raising private capital. You know, it's not common to talk about, you know, the seller financing
1: their house to you. You know, So yeah. I think it's huge. So, yeah. so I had a distinction when we were first getting started. Um, uh, most people would probably go, this is what happened to us originally. We went to one bank and stopped after the bank turned us down. We were like, what do we do? I guess we're done. Um, for me, what I would encourage people to do is, um, cause to go a little bit deeper into our current model, we, we do refi for holding them with the mm-hmm. bank. Um, but what we do a little differently from now than what we did back then is we call multiple banks, mostly local community banks, because they keep the loans in house and they can be a little more risky than your rocket mortgages or, you know, these big guys um, that they give out all these loans. So now, What do you mean they keep the loan in house? I mean, yeah. So um, some banks will sell the the loan that you get with them to another lender or another mortgage company. Mm-hmm. Um, and in order to do so, they have to meet qualifications, which is why they're more strict up front when you go uh, uh, strict, meaning the terms of the loan, you know, qualifications. Um, but a local community bank will be more lenient on how much you have to pay up front. To, to get into the loan, like 15% down, some may even do 10. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and credit unions are good. Um, some of them have a, a construction loan rolled into a longer term loan. Uh, you know, so the the community banks have more flexibility to uh, a first time, you know, investor um, buying a property.
0: Yeah, I wanted to kind of let you kind of clarify that because again, you know, like I said,
1: we talk about yeah. it all the time, but People would be like, "What do you mean selling a loan? Like, what are you talking about?" <laughs> yep, they they sell them on the secondary market, and that just means that they're trading loans behind the scenes with each other. These banks are. Yeah,
0: they're um, trading the
1: debt service on the loan. Yeah. yeah, they're they're saying, "Hey, we've got this
0: piece of paper. that This guy owes us, you know, three hundred grand. Paid as follows. How much will you pay us for it? Or 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 they'll trade. They'll trade debt." So yeah, yeah, there's the secondary market on the mortgage market is insane. It's crazy.
1: Yeah. And so like to, so what happened for us is when we discovered the private money and that was like effective, um, it was like, oh, now we can see that that may be a good deal. We're going to go after it. And then Mm -hmm. it became like, oh, we got a lot of good deals. So that's where, (laughs) that's where it started to grow of like, yeah. um, Hey, let's buy this one and figure it out on the back end. You know, to get more contractors on the scene, and and okay, well, we gave this contractor four. He showed he couldn't handle four deals at once, so we got reduced him to three. Got a second one, mm-hmm. and so now we think three is a sweet spot. So then, you know, each contractor we bring on only
2: gets three projects at once. Nice. Uh, yeah, we stumbled into our first flip and a fifty thousand accidentally, not knowing that we're going to first flip the house and then make that much money. Yeah. Uh, the contractor that we were using to do our property visits worked for the other guy that we're in partnership with. But he said, Hey, y'all should take this down. We weren't even looking at that angle because we didn't have the confidence to take it down and fulfill on it. But looking back, all you need is three things, a marketing to get the deal. You need the money, you need the crew, the construction crew. Mm-hmm. That's it. And so we literally created a 50,000 out of thin air. We found the deal and we bought the deal without even going over. Just, you know, I think, the pitchers we, we bought the deal on pitchers and we mm-hmm. thought we can make at least 25 30 we ended up making 50 on it and all from the contractor saying hey you guys just take this down and if we weren't thinking in that manner and that direction well it would have taken us just a little bit longer to get that aha moment right of, oh we can continue this flip thing and keep going yeah
0: now i think another common misconception right is um, you've got to be super well connected to raise private capital. Right. I mean, I, I know like a lot of people shy away from, you know, trying to raise private money because who's going to have that type of money sitting around, right? Who's going to be interested in letting, you know, some mid twenties, late twenties, you know, guys use their money right on properties. Right. So talk about that experience in just first starting, like raising private capital. Um, and kind of how you guys went about it?
2: Uh, showing up is my, my easy answer. Just showing up and playing the game. You meet other players. And mm-hmm. those players also have their networks. And so yeah. how we came across private Money was just by playing the game of real estate, showing up, and it kind of fell into our lap with just knowing the right people. Um, and yeah. We'll, get, yeah.
1: well, so our, our business partner, previous one, he raised a lot of capital through people that have IRAs. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's very common. Uh, people can loan, a, uh, money from their IRA on a real estate transaction so long that it's at arm's length, meaning I can't lend to myself. I, I can't be involved right. in the transaction. I have to be outside. Someone has, whoever's lending has to be outside of it. Um, and so we kind of learned a little bit about how they were doing that with the IRAs. Um, and then we got introduced to people that just have, like through our networks of asking people that was another thing is we had an intention to raise more capital. So we started asking our network, Hey, do you know anybody? And sure enough, it was like, yeah, here's a guy, here's a guy. And then that's kind of how, and I'm like, just in the last, um, like three, two or three weeks, I've referred three or four people to, you know, private lenders, um, that were like, Hey, we're kind of curious about it. So it's just, it just takes mm-hmm. the asking uh, your networks about it. Um, And, uh, we saw him, our our former business partner doing that. And I'm like, man, we want to see how we can get involved in, in doing more of that. So it was, since he was financing everything, we were talking collectively, Hey, if we're going to take this down, is it going to be us? Is it going to be you? Cause he also did flips too. Right. And so he kind of, uh, helped us through our first one or two, three flips. Um, and then it became, okay, now we know what to do. We're on our own. Uh, off to the races and that's you
2: know how we progressed yeah and getting exposed to to the structure you know we didn't know anything about the interest only thing but it, it makes it much more cleaner when you're drafting up a mortgage and then paying out your lender to just pay them interest only and most of these lenders take at least three months minimum so mm-hmm. even if you flip it in two months you're still paying out three months of interest and just getting exposed to the paperwork um, and the structure was big just by being in partnership with this guy yeah, no,
0: I think that's big, man, because, you know, who, who are types of people that would lend, right? Uh, you know, I think a lot of people are so mistaken, right, to think that it's only real estate people that would be interested in lending, right? Um, and that's completely the opposite. Usually, it's completely the opposite. It's usually people that don't want anything to do with real estate, don't want to do a flip, right? But like you said, they've got their IRA or they've got some capital stored up and they just want to put it to work.
1: Yeah. And the, these could be family members. And a lot of times, too, um, what's missing with from people is their knowledge, right? It's the knowledge of um, could be how to structure a deal. It could be the financing portion. It could be just real estate knowledge in general. Um, but, you know, we all have family members or friends that have capital sitting in an IRA um, or a 401k that isn't really producing maybe what they want. Um, and those that can produce and use those IRAs really well, you can actually build significant wealth through IRA lending. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's, it's kind of uh, it's crazy cause it can be tax free in that uh, investment vehicle. So, um, so and you I mean, can pitch people on the, the value there.
0: And I'm sure you guys are paying an interest rate. That's a lot higher than what their annual, interest on their ira is right <laughs> yeah
2: yeah yeah so <laughs> it works for it works for both parties um yeah you're paying a little bit more but it's bridge money it's just to get you in the deal to rehab the deal before you either refinance or sell yep. and so we're okay with that because we're also buying it right on the front end to yep. allow for the spread to. so yeah i think it. that's
0: a big piece too is you gotta you gotta make sure you're buying it right on the front end you know because like yeah. I mean, it's, it's tough. You know, you're not going to go out there and buy an MLS deal with heart, with, you know, private money. I mean, you can, but typically a lot of these are going to be, you know, direct to seller, you know, and things like that. So uh, I think that's big, but yeah. I, I, just, I think it's so funny with, with the private money talk, right? Cause so many people are so scared to, you know, talk about private money or, or, you know, even, entertain the idea of raising private money just because of the simple fact. Like they just, they don't think they know anybody that has that, you know, where, where am I going to Where am I going to find somebody
1: to come up with 120 grand? You know, yeah. or they lack the confidence in speaking that they may have an opportunity for someone. Um, and this kind of goes back to the, uh, the scarcity mindset of being of service to the seller. Mm-hmm. It's the same situation of being of service to someone else who may be looking to get more of a return, but they don't have the knowledge of, hey, I could make that by lending it in a real estate deal, mm-hmm. um, and so that can you can turn that around to be a service that you provide to people uh, that have the capital, and so it's it's a similar. So it's kind of like the the idea of being a service to people is a fundamental meaning it underlies everything that you do. If you're cold calling, if you're you know going to the bank or whatever it is, um, using that as a, a framework. Um, I think is extremely beneficial, uh, you know, over time, you really can compound the uh, the help that you can receive by being of service to other people. Right. No, I, I completely
0: agree with you guys. Um, one thing I wanted to talk to you guys about too, right? Because I, I noticed that CG, you guys had your uh, your acquisition guy that was there with you guys. And, you know, you guys are based in Little Rock, Arkansas, but he's not.
2: Right. Yeah. Talk about that a little bit. Yeah. Kev's in San Diego. Uh, What happened was Kevin was doing his own wholesaling on his own virtually and he Mm -hmm. stumbled in Little Rock. Well, what most wholesalers do is they go to their Facebook groups to find other wholesalers and buyers. Uh, Kev came across uh, one of my posts that I posted about helping other people. Mm -hmm. And so we just we just became of service to Kev. Well, he started bringing us deals to JB on and I realized, hey, Kev, we're both winning here. Let's powwow about this deal together so you can get an even better price. Mm-hmm. And so just by being of service to Kevin and able to work in, in alignment and not compete against each other, he saw the value in, in coming in and working with us. And so qu- quickly turned into JV partners to, Hey, why don't you just come work with us, save your money and, and not spend your overhead. Um, mm-hmm. and so he saw the value in coming over with our systems and processes already set up, um, but it just became first just a relationship that became more valued over time yeah
0: that's awesome i thought that was cool because you know a lot of people you know freak out whenever they think about virtual stuff and you know i mean that's the beauty of you know what we do is it's crazy but nowadays you can buy houses not ever seeing them not ever you know stepping foot inside the house um which is crazy to think about but it's fact um so to hear that you know you're Acquisition guys, literally in San Diego,
2: <laughs> yeah, <laughs> completely exactly. different
0: place than Little Rock,
2: and you know, and and doing all the deals for you guys is awesome. Well, another distinction I want to make too is virtually, even though we live in Little Rock, we still run a virtual model. Um, mm-hmm. We realized too we forgot to talk talk about this, but to double our productivity, we started sending out runners, like Aaron runners, to go up to their property visits all we're there for is to take pictures we do all of our talking prepping and negotiation over the phone anyways yeah so that helped that we already had the system in place to just send out a property runner for kev to just coordinate that Mm -hmm. no i think that's that's huge too yeah that um like
1: last year we did 120 deals and that right there was one of the biggest game changers for us i mean we're going on seven to ten visits a week um and if you single-handedly are getting in the car to go to these visits Um, for us, our average drive time probably be about 20 minutes. And so you got to prep to leave, you leave 20 minutes, you're there for let's say 20 or 30, 20 minutes back. And then you got to get refocused to get back to your work. Mm -hmm. And it's like, man, that's, that's an hour and a half at least. Uh, Mm -hmm. Imagine trying to do that 10 times a week, you know, there's most of your week gone right there. Um, And so we, what we noticed is if we can have someone else do that, we can not only scale the visits we go on, um, but we can make more offers and we can close more deals. Yeah, I remember whenever I made that shift too, because I remember,
0: so like Jacksonville's a little different than Little Rock. Jacksonville, I can drive an hour straight down the road and still be in Jacksonville. Like it's, <laughs> yeah, it's massive. It's a huge city. So like I'd be getting, you know, appointments that were like, one's on this side of town and then like one's like on this side of town and you know i'd be like driving all over the place trying to go to appointments and it's you know at the end of the day like you don't have a hundred percent success ratio so like i would drive 45 minutes to the appointment and like to say a 20-minute appointment or 30-minute appointment to me is wild i our appointments <laughs> were like an hour to you know an hour and a half right like <laughs> yeah And, um, you know, I'm staying there and talking to this lady or talking to this guy and then having to drive back and then figure out, okay, what did I miss while I was gone? Who, you know, my phone was going off while I was at the appointment, who was calling me? Um, you know, and then like you said, like being able to double our product, like double my productivity without having to go was huge. Right. And in you know saving that hour and a half or that three hours that one appointment would take um you know i could make triple to quadruple the amount of calls that i was you know that i was going to make before um and i think that's a big piece to like the virtual model that a lot of people miss is like oh you know people think that oh well you lose that personal touch and or you know whatever yes but also no at the same time you know, in, in my opinion, I don't know how you guys feel about that, but like, I feel like our personal touch is still great over the phone. You know, yes,
2: yeah, it allows in communication. And we do a lot of prepping before, like, we have to get a green light to even go out to the property visit for it to make sense. And yeah. we do that by throwing out floaters. If if we need to be at 60,000 and the seller says they're at 80, well, then there's certain tactics that we use to get them to flinch or not to flinch to determine if we need to come out and take a look mm-hmm yeah
1: yeah and uh as a result of that what we noticed is um we have about a 40 percent um uh, appointment to contract rate with that model um and uh, you know as we uh, as the market's shifted and changed you know we have opened it up to you know us going on certain visits mm-hmm. or you know just widening the the visits that we personally will go on or the ones that we'll send someone out to so our closing ratio appointment to contract rather uh, has gone down mm-hmm. uh, a little bit but um, when we were operating 100% in that model i mean i think it was like 42% like it was you know it was almost yeah. never too. yeah that's awesome so yeah speaking of that you know how
0: how are you guys how are you guys adjusting with you know everything going on right now um, you know, I don't know what the market's like out in out in Little Rock or anything like that. But you know, how are you guys adjusting the business and uh, with everything going on with interest rates and the market and all that fun stuff? I
2: think it goes back to do what's got us here, and that's being of service, and that's a change in communication. Mm-hmm. Knowing that there's other wholesalers out there that are locking it up too high, where well, they're going to come back to us because we've provided that value to them, and we left that door open. Yeah, um, but we also follow up with them. So, it just it, the, the short answer is just the communication part. Um, the sellers aren't quite ready yet to take 60,000 and when they're at 80,000. So, there's still some work to be done. But I think over the long haul, they're going to circle back around.
0: Now, you don't mean to tell me there's people that lock deals up too high.
2: <laughs> no,
1: <Yeah. laughs> we, we've had a large influx, probably 20, oh, yeah. 25 people. Um, But I would also say, too, you know, in the the market conditions we're in, it's uh, being dialed in with what your business is. So knowing, you know, the expenses that you have, like we've been cutting expenses to lean up Mm -hmm. um, uh, and building, working to build uh, a better cash position um, to sustain a potential longer term, um, let's say a situation where we aren't getting as many deals as we were in the past. Mm-hmm. You know our model is built around volume, and so if we're not getting that volume, we're not producing the revenues to take care of our you know uh, concerns from an expense standpoint. So, um, so being in the business owner seat, you know, really working to dial in our expenses, um, and then also uh, on the back end, obviously buyers are are you know changing with interest rates, and so the mom and pop has become a lot better source of of selling deals than. You know the hedge funds who, who we had sold to in our market um, and so you know there's a shift there so you know better communication on the back end um, but also we've been looking at additional real estate strategies to, to generate leads at a low cost um, and so uh, one of the things i think is very useful uh, that i've been working on is reaching out to realtors and seeing if they have any properties um, uh, because essentially, what realtors do is they do exactly what we do, direct to seller, right? So let me leverage their marketing budget to bring me deals uh, that are as is that you know we can work and negotiate,
0: and they still get paid on it too,
1: and they still get paid. Yeah, yeah, so, and they get to they get to monetize on their marketing spend without having to put forth any effort, really. <laughs> yeah, so that that I found that to be a a, a good. Uh, restructure and turn, cause I mean, we're, you know, we primarily do outbound uh, marketing. Right. Um, and this is a way of producing an inbound channel where they're bringing us leads. Yeah, no, absolutely. Especially like whenever you can get that
0: consistent, you know, those consistent agents that they're consistently bringing you stuff. Um, you know, we've got a lady we work with up in, in, in Atlanta, um, that, I mean, I'd say she probably sends us two or three at, you know, two or three properties a month. Um, nice. you know, and, and, and we've closed maybe like three or four deals with her. Uh, you know, we make sure she's, you know, taken care of every single deal. But, um, you know, she's came back every single month. She's sending us stuff, you know. So I think that's a huge, a huge, like a really good pivot, especially during this time, because it's not just tough for investors right now. Right. And I think that's where a lot of people got to kind of like let their egos kind of slip. Right. Like we're not special you know, it's, it's hard for everybody out there. Realtors, brokers, lenders. I mean, everybody's kind of in the same bus right now. So I think that's big. If we can kind of come together and help everybody to make sure everybody eats, then there's going to be a lot more food on the table. Agreed. That's awesome. Well, guys, we're kind of coming up on our time here. So, um, you know, what is, what's one, you know, and each of you guys can have your own thing, but what's, What's one piece of advice that you want to leave everybody with? Um, you know, it can be a piece of advice, something to think about, you know, uh, what's something you want to leave everybody with?
1: For me, it's um, your moods determine your space of possibility. So if you don't have the right mood in your approach, um, and this goes back to the being of service thing versus a scarcity mindset. Um, if you don't have the right mood and also, Uh, there's two things, a mood and then an ambition or your, your goal or what you're after producing. If you don't have a mood, uh, that is in a good mood in a way like, let's say you're, I don't know, responsible or ambitious or enthusiastic about what you're up to. Um, it's going to be very difficult for you to make progress consistently over time. Um, and so if you don't also have a goal that you're aiming for, I think getting clear on what those things are, um, first and foremost is, is something that will help move you along. And and you don't always have to know how you just need to know what you're after. And then when you let other people know what you're after, which is why the goal is important, in my opinion, um, others will start to help you because we all want to help others. That's where we all get that um, fulfillment from. And so if you can, if you can uh, let people know what you're up to, uh, they will, you know, you'll have people that
2: will be able to help. So. Love it. Yeah, that was a good answer. Uh, I'd say constitute your ambition so that you know what your intention is and the direction you're heading so that you're also committing to new practices and that you're developing. Um, but acquiring knowledge and different skill sets is, is a big thing. When we first got started, um, everyone saying, no, you know, you got to market for these deals. You really have to market for these deals. There, there's nowhere around that. And we, we took that sentence and that phrase for granted. But reality is, yeah, you have to have a marketing system or a team or whatever the case is to acquire the deal. And for that, you have to build up your knowledge. And so knowledge is a big thing. You have to continuously to learn competitively in certain situations so that you know how to act and lead. And that's my biggest thing. It's just the the ambition to provide that direction, but also the knowledge needed to acquire the skill. I love it, guys. No, I think
0: that's awesome, man. So. Guys, I appreciate you guys hopping on today and, and chatting up with us for a little bit. Um, guys, be sure to tune in next Monday for another episode of The Real Impact. That's it. Peace. See ya.